When it comes to performing emergency procedures, the one you absolutely must know how to do is the thoracocentesis. Now, it's not a procedure a lot of veterinarians do all the time or do daily, but it's something you have to be able to perform. And again, it's generally very safe. Remember, thoracocentesis is often life-saving, and it should be performed immediately in any dyspneic dog or cat that's suspected of having pleural space disease, either secondary to pneumothorax or a pleural effusion. We're going to base the decision to do a thoracocentesis based on our auscultation and physical examination findings. Remember, the presence of a muffled heart sound or dull lung sounds is going to increase our suspicion of pleural space disease, and that's the location where you want to perform the thoracocentesis. In fact, when I'm presenting a dyspneic cat, I actually prefer to do a benign diagnostic thoracocentesis prior to radiographs. I actually think it's safer to stick a needle into the chest cavity than to stress out the cat and get radiographs because a lot of times the cat will get immediately fractious right before a respiratory arrest. That's how benign and safe a diagnostic and therapeutic thoracocentesis can be. There are a few contraindications for performing a thoracocentesis, but these are pretty rare. But they include diseases that can't be treated by thoracocentesis. In other words, a diaphragmatic hernia where there's no secondary effusion, pleural masses, pneumomediastinum, or diseases where the lungs may be friable and more at risk for developing an iatrogenic pneumothorax. In other words, cats with chronic asthma, disseminated fungal pulmonary infections, or even chylothorax. The good thing about performing a thoracocentesis is that you don't need a lot of equipment. And in fact, you probably have everything that you need in your clinic. Your stethoscope, clippers, surgical scrub solution, alcohol in a spray bottle, a butterfly needle or appropriately sized hypodermic needle ranging anywhere from 14 to 22 gauge needles, a three-way stopcock. I prefer the Mila one that has the stopcock that says off, which is helpful, sterile gloves, an extension set, a 12 to 60 mil syringe, depending on the anticipated amount of air or effusion, appropriate sterile collection tubes for sample collection for cytology and or culture purposes if you get fluid, oxygen flow by, an ultrasound, which is a huge bonus, but not imperative, and two other people, one to help restrain the patient and the other one to help aspirate and collect the fluid or air. When performing a thoracocentesis, we want to use a position that the patient is the most comfortable in and that's going to cause the least amount of dyspnea. Ideally, I usually do this in sternal or lateral. I also like to provide flow by oxygen to help stabilize the patient. Next, make sure to shave a wide area and aseptically prepare it. I like to clip the area and spray alcohol on it immediately. This also allows me to ultrasound for what I call a fast ultrasound, which is a focused assessment of sonography, and it also helps me rapidly identify a fluid pocket for thoracocentesis. Now, when it comes to the location of performing a thoracocentesis, remember we ideally want to perform this cranial to the rib. I always remember when a dog is running through the woods, the vessels and the nerves are sort of hiding behind the rib so they don't get whacked. So remember, ideally we want to go cranial or right in the middle of the intercostal space. We want to perform a thoracocentesis at the 7th to 9th intercostal space. We want to avoid the 3rd to 5th intercostal space where the heart lies or caudal to the 9th intercostal space where the liver lies. My shortcut technique, rather than counting rib spaces in critically ill, fragile, dysmic patients, I actually just draw an imaginary line from the end of the xiphoid up from the lateral body wall. 
This is approximately the eighth intercostal space, and the thoracocentesis can be performed in this area. Now remember, if you're going for gas, we're going to go to the dorsal third of the chest cavity. If we're going for fluid, we're going to go into the ventral third of the chest cavity. Now we also want to make sure that we have our thoracocentesis set up. I also like to practice putting these together in cases of emergency, so really important that you drill this with your team. We want to make sure that we're using a three-way stopcock, extension tubing, an appropriately sized needle or catheter, and a syringe. In cats, I prefer to use a one-inch 21 or 22 gauge needle. However, sometimes they see grossly obese patients and you may actually need to use a one and a half inch needle. In dogs, I generally use an 18 gauge to 21 or 22 gauge needle, typically anywhere between one to one and a half inches in length. The next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna advance the needle into the pleural space. Once the needle's in place, we're gonna gently aspirate back into the syringe. And if you feel this scraping sensation, that's your needle scraping the lung surface. No big deal, just slowly back it out one to three millimeters. Ideally, we don't want to remove the needle completely from the pleural space because that's the part that's the most painful. So we're just gonna redirect the needle carefully. Sometimes I'll actually use small twisting motions and redirect my needle so I'm going into different areas. If the thoracocentesis is negative, again, we redirect the needle at a couple of different angles until air or fluid is obtained. Know that there are a couple of rare complications from thoracocentesis. This is typically seen when a significant amount of effusion or air results in clinical signs of tachypnea. Remember, it takes anywhere between 20 to 60 mils per kg of pleural space disease, in other words, fluid or air, to cause dyspnea in dogs and cats. The benefit of having all that fluid or air in the chest cavity is that your needle is protected from the surface of the lung, making the risk of pneumothorax or laceration pretty rare. That said, some risks of thoracocentesis include hematomas, pneumothorax, arterial laceration, hypotension, re-expansion pulmonary edema, super rare, or vagal reactions that can occur. But again, don't be intimidated. These are relatively rare. Keep in mind that the demise of a dysmic patient is often due to not performing a thoracocentesis as compared to performing an unnecessary one. So when in doubt, take that girl's advice. Don't be hesitant to stick a needle into the chest cavity. A thoracocentesis is a life-saving emergency procedure.